I don't know if you know it yet, but uh, if you haven't been able to figure out from the yellow greenish hue on your car the last few weeks, but it's springtime, and uh, spring is one of the beautiful, most beautiful seasons of the year. I mean, for me, I like fall and I like spring. It's the transition of the seasons, the beauty of the colors and the leaves changing and the fall and, and then the reemergence of life in, in the spring. And that's really what happens in, in spring. It's this reemergence uh, of life after those long, dark and dreary days of winter. You see, in winter, what happens is this cold and lifeless disposition begins to be ushered over the landscape and the leaves in the fall begin to turn colors and they're beautiful, but then they dry up and fall off and the songbirds fly south, the flowers no longer bloom and the days become shorter, the nights become longer, it's gloomy, 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 and we begin to think, is this ever going to end? And yet in the midst of all of that, we know spring is coming. Uh, I celebrate 44 years this next month, and in those short 44 years, I say short because every time I say I'm old, some of you look at me like, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. And I understand that because I look at my children like, you don't even know what age is yet, right? And so in all of the years that I've lived so far, I've never seen there not to be a fall, a winter, a spring, and a summer. And so spring is coming. It's this beautiful promise of the reemergence of life. And in this reemergence, in this transition, we see something marvelous. We see something beautiful. It really is, in a lot of ways, like watching a resurrection. Martin Luther, the great reformer, understood this. He saw it too. And he said this about spring. He said, our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf of springtime. Over the last few weeks, as we, as we have uh, witnessed this resurrection to life, as the trees are beginning to sprout and flowers are beginning to blossom, the songbirds have returned, things are beginning to turn green again, we're seeing this reemergent, this re- resurrection to life. And this morning on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate something far greater than that. We celebrate something that that just simply points to it, foreshadows it, pictures in in a small sense. Today on this Easter celebration Sunday, we get to rejoice and, and celebrate the resurrection of God himself, that he came to this earth in the form of his son, the person of his son, and he lived a perfect life, having been born of a virgin, born into humanity, living a perfect life. And, and then the Bible tells us that he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute, as we sing about this morning, a sacrifice and a substitute to do in the place that we rightfully deserved. Jesus did for that. The Bible says that he shed his blood. He was buried in a tomb. And then when everybody thought that was the end, and I believe that as you read the Bible, we kind of get the picture that Satan is kind of gloating in all of this. I have defeated God. And yet on that third day, everything began to change. Jesus was gloriously resurrected and his disciples and his followers were going to the tomb in that passage we read earlier in Luke 24. The two ladies go to the tomb and they find it empty and they're distraught over that. And yet they're reminded, hey, just as Jesus said he would do, he has done. He's been resurrected from the dead. That's what we celebrate this morning. And Jesus said a lot about his death, burial, and resurrection throughout his ministry. In fact, we find in John 10, 10, Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and life abundantly. You see, the Lord demonstrated the power of his resurrection, not just in the resurrection, but Jesus demonstrated the power of that resurrection all throughout his ministry. 
Here at Red Lane, over the last several weeks, we've been working verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, specifically in chapter 5, we see this power of the resurrection. If you've been with us, or if you know the the text there, you know that in Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls four fishermen to follow him. Four ragtag, rugged men. He calls them to to follow him, and he didn't just call them to follow him and kind of do it in their own power. He transforms their life. They are not the same men that they once were. Then on the heels of that, we see Jesus coming and, and being visited by this man who the Bible says is full of leprosy, a man who is an outcast, a man who is not allowed to be in society. He's lived for years, if not decades, outside of the city. Jesus changes his life physically and spiritually. And then we read last week, we studied that text where that man who's a paralytic, he's been paralyzed for maybe his whole life, but for years he suffered not being able to to walk and to do things for himself. And he wants to meet Jesus and these four friends of his, these porters carry him to Jesus and they can't get into the house. And so they devise a plan to go up on top of the roof and to dig through with him, lower him so that he can meet Jesus. Jesus not just healed him physically, but Jesus healed him spiritually, transformed his life, resurrected his life. And we see that power again on display in the passage that's before us this morning. So if you have a Bible, look with me in Luke chapter 5, and let's begin reading in verse 27. Luke says this, After this he, that is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. It should astound us as we read this text that the only one changed by Jesus is this man who's a sinner, a tax collector. And if we were to go one passage before and read the story again of the paralytic, there's something amazing that happens there as well. Jesus heals this man, displays his power, displays his grace. And as we talked last Sunday, everyone there was amazed by it. They gave glory to God, but it went no further than that. We ended last Sunday talking about how how astounding that is that they see the grace of God and the power of God and the transformation that took place in the man's life. And all of them said, this is wonderful. This is marvelous. Glory to God for it. But none of them looked at Jesus and said, what you've done to him, I need you to do to me. None of them said that. And so Luke tags this next story on to the heels of that because these religious people, these others who knew the law and knew the the grace of God and the goodness of God, and they see that on display in Jesus, none of them responded like the paralytic. And so after this, Luke says, he went out and he saw a man who was a tax collector, a man by the name of Levi. 
Luke here is making the point that these holy men who should have realized, failed to realize that the greatest need in their lives was the same as the man who had been paralyzed. And so Jesus is going to make the point that just as the paralyzed man needed Jesus to forgive his sins and this tax collector needs Jesus to forgive his sins, you people need Jesus to forgive your sins. And so he engages this tax collector named Levi. Now, you may know something or a lot about the system that they were operating in under the Roman Empire, but the Romans had a specific system for uh, uh, collecting taxes. Tomorrow is tax day for us here in the U.S. I told the last service that it's kind of ironic. We're talking about taxes and we're about to pay taxes, right? We're about to own up to everything that we owe the government. And so Rome had a system of collecting taxes. We might refer to it as tax farming. And so what would happen is the Romans would come to a district and they would assess a certain number, a certain figure for that district number of taxes. And so if they came to this particular district and they said, all right, you owe a million dollars in taxes, they would then bid that job out to the highest bidder. The tax collectors would come in, they would bid the job, and whoever had the highest bid would win the responsibility and the authority to collect taxes. And so those tax collectors would then allot to the people within the district a number that they had to pay. And so from all of that pool of money, the payment would go to Rome and everything left would be for the tax collectors to divvy up between themselves. And that's how they made the money. And so that's what Levi is a part of. Tax collectors, therefore, as you can might understand, were not the uh, most prestigious men in society, right? In the Jewish culture, they were not the type of people you would invite into your home. They're not the type of people you would invite to your daughter's wedding. They're not the type of people you would even allow to come be a witness in court or to worship in the synagogue. These were the despised people of society. And that is doubly so when it was a Jewish tax collector. Levi was a Jewish tax collector. He was regarded as an adulterer, as a thief, as a traitor to his people. As we read this passage, though, it's amazing that this despised, hated sinner is the one Jesus walks out of this meeting and engages first. He looks at Levi, the tax collector, sitting in the tax booth and says, follow me. The religious leaders of this day had watched him heal a paralytic. Now they're watching him engage a sinner, quote, unquote. And so from our perspective today, definitely from the perspective of those in that day, this was the most unlikely calling you could have imagined. And yet Jesus calls this man to himself. And so we discover from this interaction that the Lord, think about this, invites the sick rather than the healthy to join him. I want us to look at this interaction between Jesus and this tax collector, and I want us to see th three things that take place. First of all, I want you to see an assessment made. An assessment is made here. Now, Levi is a tax collector, and what do tax collectors do? They assess value. And so Levi understood something Really, he understood a lot about assessing value. Now, Jesus also knows something about assessing. And so Luke tells us that after this, he walks out and he saw a tax collector. Jesus assess, assesses this man's life. He looks at him and Levi is bare before the Lord Jesus. Jesus sees everything about him. Now, we would look at this passage, they would see this man, and we would come to very similar conclusions. I mean, what does Jesus assess in this man? He's a sinner. 
That's an obvious, right? Levi's cluing us into something. The, the, the Holy Spirit has put this story in the Bible for a reason. Levi's occupation is cluing us in on his disposition. He is a sinner. Now, that's easy for us to understand because of his occupation. But I want you to understand something. Levi wasn't a sinner because he was a tax collector. The, the vocation, the occupation, just is indicative of what is already in place in his heart. He is a sinner. And the Bible tells us the same thing about ourselves. It says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this morning, I don't know what most of y'all's occupations in, but let's just say you had an occupation like a tax collector, right? You work for the IRS, the evil IRS, right? I'm making light of that, okay? I'm not putting them on the same par as uh, the tax collectors in the day of, of Jesus in Palestine. But let's say you come in with an occupation and you, everyone would look at you and say, that is a sinner. Now, we would be judgmental and we would be sinning ourselves by doing that. That's not what we should do, right? The occupation doesn't determine whether or not we are a sinner. We are sinners by nature. You see, we sang a song, really, Ricky sang the song a while ago that talked about how the fall and the curse of the fall has brought this disposition upon each and every one of us. We are sinners by nature. And Jesus assessed this in this man's life. And so the Bible tells us what that sin does to us. It brings us under the just condemnation of a holy God. It separates us from the God who created us and created us for himself. It brings the punishment of death. Romans 6, 23, the first part of that verse says, For the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. This is Sunday. Hopefully many of you got paid this past Friday. Or, or maybe you get paid on the 15th. And so Friday and every 15th is the day you get paid. What do you do when you get paid? You get money because of something you did. You earned that money. That's what Romans 6, 23 is saying. For the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. It's separation. It's punishment by a holy God. And so as Jesus walked out and saw Levi, he saw him in his sin with all of its consequences. He saw Levi dead in trespasses and sin, as Paul said in Ephesians 2.1. He saw him as one lost and in need of a shepherd, someone to come and find him and rescue him. I love how Luke 19.10 tells us, Jesus speaking to another tax collector, a man by the name of Zacchaeus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and, and to save the lost. That's what Jesus came to do. And so as Jesus looked at Levi, he assessed his life and saw that he is a sinner in need of forgiveness, a sinner under the condemnation of God and in need of forgiveness. But there's three things that I, I really believe we ought to recognize and lay alongside this assessment. So as we understand that Levi is a sinner and we are all sinners before God, first of all, that we need to recognize that Jesus seeks the sinner. Notice that. Jesus comes out of this meeting. He sees Levi. Where is Levi? He's in the tax booth. He's collecting taxes. He's doing what he does occupationally. This is his lifestyle. This is who he is. And so here, this, this occupation, this lifestyle does not disqualify him from meeting Jesus. Really, it, does, it qualifies him from meeting Jesus. It's who he is. It's his need, his greatest need in his life. And so the Lord seeks this sinner of all sinners in the midst of his sin. We need not miss that in the text. What's the significance here? It tells us this. 
we don't clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus. Jesus is not walking out of this meeting disappointed that no one reached out to him and one of the same things that the paralytic had and comes to this man and says, hey, you want to be changed like the paralyzed man that just walked out of here carrying his bed? You come follow me, but first you need to clean yourself up. Change jobs. Quit this thing. Go do something responsible. Go do something ethical. Come back and find in me the thing that you really need. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus sees him in the tax booth collecting taxes and says, follow me, right? He seeks out the sinner. Secondly, we see that he redeems the sinner. Again, he's not asking Levi to fix himself. See, there's nothing he could do to rectify his own situation. And even if Levi had changed his lifestyle, that would do nothing between him and God. It would have done maybe it's something between him and his neighbors, Right? They could finally look at him and say, you're a real reputable guy. You're trying to make amends for the wrongs you've caused our people. But it would have done nothing to God because sin is pervasive. That We believe in a thing that the Bible teaches called total depravity. It's infected every aspect of who we are. And so this man needed Jesus to touch his life because he had a heart issue. Every human being is a sinner by nature. This sinful nature and rebellion against God, that's what leads us to do sinful actions. And so we are condemned before God because of the sin nature, not necessarily the sin action. Think about that. We don't always sin all the time, right? Hopefully you're just not walking around doing everything you possibly can to, to sin against the law of God, rebel against the law of God. We're not always doing that, but it's the nature of our hearts to do that all the time. But we can kind of control it at times. And so we, we need to understand that our nature of sin is what condemns us and brings us under the judgment of a holy God. And in all of that, as we try to understand it, we also recognize that deep down we can do nothing to change ourselves. We can change the outside, put a different coat on, dress ourselves up, become more religious, kind of bring some discipline in our lives. But what happens at the core of our being is never touched by that. You see, we can't change the stripes on a tiger. You can't take the tiger and wash those things off. They're there regardless. You can shave the tiger. What happens when his hair grows back? It's the same stripes. We can do nothing to change our stripes, but God can Luke 18, 27. What does Jesus say? With man, things are, there are some things that are impossible, but not so with God. With man, there are some things that we cannot do, right? That's what Jesus says. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus not only seeks this sinner out, but he redeems him, and Levi is forever changed by the Lord. But there's a third thing that I think we should lay alongside this assessment, and that is he rejects the righteous. The transformation in Levi's life, it's immediate and it's thorough. That's what verse 28 tells us. And then we read on in verse 29, what does he do? He celebrates. He throws a party. He invites all of his friends, maybe his family members. And who are his friends? It's definitely not the common Jew. It's not the guy that lives next door. It's other tax collectors. It's people like himself. And he brings them in and he wants to celebrate all that Jesus has done for him. But also he invites Jesus because he wants them to experience what he's experienced experienced. He celebrates that. And the, the Pharisees get uptight about this, right? They're, 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 they're so uptight and so bothered by everything. And then they see Jesus dancing and eating and drinking and celebrating with these people. They are just offended by it. And they come and ask the question, why is he doing this? And Jesus says, hey, it's not the 
It's not the healthy that need the physician, it's the sick. I didn't come to call the healthy, I came to call the sick. What did we learn from this? Jesus rejects the righteous. The ones who think that they need nothing from the Lord, that they are okay in and of themselves, Jesus rejects them. You say, well, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. That doesn't sound very gospel-ish. That's a new word for us, gospel-ish. It is, in fact, gospel. You see, the greatest thing that we could understand is that we are in need of Jesus, that we are sick with sin, and the only remedy for that is the cross of Calvary and us faithing into Jesus and what he's accomplished and done on our behalf. So the Pharisees expressed their frustration with his grace, and Jesus sadly stated to them that he didn't come for people like them. An assessment is made. Secondly, a call is issued. Despite seeing and knowing Levi's sin, Jesus ushers this call. He says, follow me. What an invitation that must have been. A man sitting in a tax booth, everyone that walked by him hated him, right? The only people that liked him were the Romans because he paid them. He kept them in business, right? But everyone else hated him. And here's a Jewish rabbi, walks up to him and says, follow me. Looks at him with loving eyes. Looks at him with gracious eyes. Didn't look at him with despise. Didn't look at him with vitriol. He looked at him with love. And Jesus says, follow me. There's three things that we want to see in this invitation. First of all, it's an invitation to repent. Levi was invited to turn from his sin and to turn to Jesus. What is repentance? It's a 180 change in your life. Here's what Levi was doing. He's living for sin. He's living for self. He's living for the gratification of the flesh. He's living for money and everything this world has to offer. And Jesus says, leave all of that and come follow me. He didn't say just deviate a little bit. No, it's a 180 turn. You're headed this way. Now you're headed that way. It's an invitation to repent. We also see in this call that's issued an invitation to follow. He says, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, follow my rule over your life. Luke here is stressing that Levi made a decisive break with his old life, and he began to follow Jesus. He says he left everything and followed him. Everything. And then thirdly, it's an invitation to an outcast. Levi, of all the people in Capernaum that day, was the most publicly unacceptable candidate for discipleship. If anyone who was thinking about, I wonder who Jesus is going to touch or heal or forgive or do some sort of other miracle, I wonder who it's going to be today. They're like maybe taking, they're bartering, like taking wages on who it's going to be the next day. And never in, the, in their imagination was Levi going to be the candidate for that. And yet Jesus walks up to the tax collector in the tax booth taking taxes and says, come follow me, the outcast. What does that mean for us? I'm not a tax collector. You're not a tax collector. But we're all sinners. And in God's economy, we're all outcasts, right? We're all unworthy of his grace. We're all unworthy of his love. We're all despicable in his sight. We've all fallen short of his glory. We're all rebelling against his rule of our lives. And yet, yet Jesus walks up to us and says, come, follow me. You're the outcast. Come, follow me. There's an assessment made. There's a call issued. Thirdly and lastly, a decision is settled. Levi, at this point, had experienced the piercing gaze of Jesus. I want you to just picture that for a moment. Put yourself in that place. 
You, if you know Jesus, you've experienced the piercing gaze of Jesus upon your life. He looks at him in the tax booth. You can't hide that. It's not like he's covering up, oh, I was cleaning fish. I'm a fisherman. I'm on the edge of the... No, he's a tax collector. Again, that's not the sin. That's the occupation. But it's symbolic of the sin in his heart, right? And so he is bare before the Lord. It's almost like he's naked before the Lord. He cannot hide his sin before God. And yet Jesus graciously invites him to himself. And so Levi is overwhelmed by this as he stood there bare before the Lord Jesus. He's undone like Isaiah. But rather than feeling only condemnation, what does Levi feel here? He feels love. He feels acceptance. He he feels the grace of God. He feels a friend is in front of him. And he heard the Lord's invitation to follow, and he makes the cognitive and the spiritual decision that I will leave everything and I will follow Jesus. You see, he couldn't return to his old job and be a follower of Jesus. So he's faced with a decision. We can't live in our old ways and follow Jesus. You see, when we come to Jesus, there has to be that 180 turn, that repentance in our life. We can't remain the old man and walk as a new man. There has to be a clean break. There's a clean break in this man's life. He decided to follow Jesus. Levi's story is likes the stories of so many of us here today. Maybe many of you watching us online this morning. Levi's story is the story like us where we heard the gospel and we heard how a sinner could be brought from death to life. It's the story of a sinful outcast being invited into the family of God. It's beyond comprehension. We do not understand why God would do it or how God would do it. And yet that is the experience that we have had, that we've been brought near to the Lord. Who is this Levi other than what we've already seen? Matthew, in his gospel, talks about this same story. And in Matthew's gospel, he's not identified as Levi. He's identified by the name of Matthew. He's the author of the gospel of Matthew. The the word Matthew, the name Matthew means gift of God. What, What happened in the story of Levi? Here's what happened. He's a tax collector, a sinner, doing what he's doing, living for sin, living for himself, living for the weekend, living for a, the high day, whatever it is, just living in rebellion against God. Jesus met him here that one day, and he says, come follow me. He leaves it all. And so the man who was despised by the Jews, hated by the Jews, probably hated by the Romans as well, because he's just a pawn in their system. He's an outcast. He never thinks he's going to be loved by God, and yet God loved him where he was, who he was, changed his life life so he's no longer the sinful tax collector now as matthew writes this gospel and he tells the story of jesus and he includes himself in that narrative he's now the gift of god he went from tax collector and despised sinner to apostle and author of a gospel isn't that glorious You see, as we celebrate Jesus on this resurrection Easter Sunday, we celebrate a God who wants to and will do that very same thing in our lives. You may not be the tax collector that's despised by society, but you are a sinner in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus can and will do something absolutely miraculous in your life if you will decide to follow him. I remember April 24th. Man, I got a birthday this coming up here this next week. Spiritual birthday, April 24th, 1997. I've told you, if you're a red laner, you've heard my testimony many times. 
I was a religious kid. I was a freshman in college at the University of Arkansas. I'd been a leader in my student ministry. I went on mission trips locally. I had done all kinds of stuff, uh, knocking on doors, shared the gospel to people, led people to faith in Christ. I was teaching Sunday school for seventh graders at that point, ninth or seventh grade boys. I mean, I was trying to live the Christian life, and yet as miserable as I could possibly be, and Jesus met me that morning in my quiet time. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life was the verse, 1 John 5, 12. And God used that verse just like he used the words to Levi in this text, come follow me, and he changed my life. Jesus wants to do that to us. Our stories are very similar. You say this morning, Pastor, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me. He forgave Levi. You say, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know how many times he's knocked on the door of my heart and I've said, no, I don't know that he can do that. Well, the Bible says where sin increases, grace increases all the more. It abounds all the more, some translations say. You can't out-sin the love and the grace and the goodness of God. You can't out-sin the, the arms that, of Jesus that want to embrace you and call you to himself. And so this morning, many of you are Christians here. I don't know what your life is. I don't know how you're walking. Perhaps you're walking at a guilty distance. Jesus would say, hey, come follow me. Come home. Maybe this morning you've never, you're like Levi, you've never given your life to Jesus. And Jesus would say to you this morning the same thing he said to Levi, follow me. Leave your way of life. Leave your sin. Leave them at the foot of the cross. I have died. I've shed my blood to take care of that sin. And so if you will just leave it there, if you will confess it, repent of it, and in faith believe on me for the forgiveness of that sin, you will be forever changed. You won't be Levi. You'll be Matthew, the gift of God. This morning, I don't know if Jesus is speaking that to your heart, but if he is, I want to say with the Lord, come follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your gospel this morning. We thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the testimony of Levi, how you changed this sinner and you made him a gift of God. Lord, if you can do it in him, I know you can in us. And Lord, I know something else. I know you want to. So Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself. Lord, I thank you for the music this morning that, is, that has moved us in our hearts, that's helped us to, to see your goodness and your grace and your love. We thank you for your word that, that now is kind of wrapping all of that up in truth. So Father, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel, that you would draw those who need forgiveness of sin today to saving faith. Lord, I pray for us as believers who might be walking at a guilty distance, God, to do the same thing, to come home. Lord, that we would leave the things that we've gotten attached to and come home. Lord, as we move into a time of response, we just pray that you'd have charge of this time and give us the mental and the spiritual disposition to, to just kind of sit here under you for a moment. Give us faith and the willingness to obey what your spirit is speaking, screaming to our hearts. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed still, if this morning, if you would say with Levi that the greatest need in my life, not a new job, a new career, a new relationship, the greatest need in my life is to have my sins forgiven 
by Jesus Christ, to be made new again. I want you to just kind of slip your hand up. You say, this is where I'm at. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Anybody in this room? I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. I just want you to acknowledge the greatest thing in my life this morning is for my sins to be forgiven. Anybody at all? I see you. A couple kids. Awesome. I love how Jesus said, don't, permit, don't, don't uh, keep the kids from coming to me. Anyone else? The greatest need in my life. I see you back there. I see you. Awesome. This morning, if you've raised your hand, I want you to just understand that Jesus loves you. He wants to change your life. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want to just ask you, if you would, to pray along with me. It's not the prayer I pray. It's not, in other words, it's not the words that are mystical or magical. It's the attitude of our hearts, an attitude of faith. We will confess Jesus as Lord. The Bible says he will forgive us of our sins. So would you pray with me if that's your need in your life? Father, this morning, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins. That his blood was shed. That he was buried in a tomb. That he was raised on the third day. I believe that Jesus did all of that so that I could be forgiven. That I could be a child of God. And so by faith, I confess my sin. I ask for forgiveness. I turn from it. And I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of all my sin. And I pray that you'd help me to walk in faith and obedience all of my days. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.